First of all, I went to a slippery and wiry school. Everybody was slippery and wiry in clinic. Maybe once in a while, somebody would say, oh yeah, that's thin and wiry. Well, there's so much more than that. In fact, I tell my interns, don't think about the quality. That's not what it's all about. It's about the flow through the organ systems. That's what good health is. It's the Taiji symbol. Hey, it's Michael, and this is Geological. I'm not sure why this topic comes up so often in my clinical conversations lately, but for some reason, I've been reminding my patients about the wisdom from that great classic on enoughness. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You might see this in your practice too. You know, there's the people that say, load me up with needles, as if more was gooder. Or they think they should be a certain way in life, but that's kind of like Goldilocks trying to sleep on too hard of a bed. They think they are too much of this or not enough of that. And what they miss is that there is this sweet spot of just enough. I'm not sure where you're listening from, but us Americanskis, we tend to think that more and better mean the same thing unless it comes to weight or waistlines when we tend to err in the other direction. The Buddhist tradition holds that we are generally either in a state of desire, i.e. give me more, or state of aversion. This is where we are reactively ruled by dislikes, or third state, which is not caring or not noticing. There's not much to react or attach to in that one. I suspect there's another state of being, and it's the one that I call enoughness where things are just right, not only just right, but unlike the state of not noticing, we actually do notice. We notice that we have enough. We notice that things have a rightness. We are attentive to the pools of desire and aversion, but we're in a sort of state of grace where we are utterly fine with how things are. In that moment, the world is enough and we are too. It's a bit rare in my experience, and especially in clinic, People often seem like they need to bring, air quotes here, a problem. Otherwise, there's no reason to go see the acupuncturist. Sometimes people need to be reminded that they're actually doing okay, that there are things working right, even in the midst of many things going wrong. This is not to take away from the problems. And at the same time, it's helpful to notice what resources or strengths they actually have. I think it's helpful to notice enoughness when it shows up. Try it out in your clinical work. I mean, after all, almost everyone knows about Goldilocks and the Three Bears. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs? is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app slash switch to book a one-on-one -on -one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Once again, I want to remind you all that I love getting postcards from wherever you happen to be listening to Geological. You know, I sit here at this microphone, at the moment I'm looking out at fall colors, but it's hard to know who's on the other end if my voice is actually making it into your earbuds. So if you think about it, I'd love to get a postcard from where you are. I get them every now and then in the mail. It makes my day. So keep those cards and letters coming, folks. Hey, friends, welcome back to Geological. My guest today is Martha Lucas. You may know of Martha. She does the Maidzen Meirong, the Maidzen facial rejuvenation. In addition to that, she does a lot of work with pulse. Those are two really interesting subjects to get into. So I'm, as with really everybody that I have on the show, 
delighted to have her here. Martha, welcome to Geological. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I often start with folks, acupuncture. You know, none of us grew up with this stuff. At least most of us didn't grow up with it. What is it that got your attention at some point that led you down this red brick road? I'm a research psychologist, so I started out my career in medicine in Western medicine. I did research in hospitals. My specialty was heart disease. And what I studied was thoughts because we, in my training as a behaviorist, think of everything as a behavior. So what I was studying was how these, and it was men at the time, perceived the cause of their heart disease. Did they think it was their behavior that they didn't eat right or exercise, or did they think it was just something like, oh, it was just fate? And then I studied how well they did in their rehab. But as I was working with them and realized their surgeons were great mechanics, I wondered what else is happening? What beside the mechanical device of the heart? keeps life going on. So I studied Reiki because I feel like that's kind of the mother of the laying on of hands medicine and went through several different kinds of classes, axitonal alignment. Then I learned color puncture, which is acupuncture like you use acupuncture points, but you put color on them that you use a, a colored light with different colors. But the teacher's didn't explain why you put red on LI4 and yellow on SP6, which is how I looked at it back then, because I was a research psychologist. I had knew nothing about Chinese medicine. So when you gave me a list of these points with a color, I'm a researcher. I want to know why. You want to know why? Yeah, exactly. Which really, I mean, wouldn't any clinician want to know why? You would think so, but I seem to be the only one who kept raising my hand saying, why am I putting green here? Why am I putting yellow there? And they would always say, because Dr. Mandel says so. Well, I'm sorry, but in my practice, I can't say to a patient, oh, Dr. Lucas, why are you doing this? And I say, well, Akila said, Dr. Mandel said. That will not cut the mustard. Right. Mm -mm. So I went to Chinese medicine school really to find that out. I didn't even have the intention of becoming a practitioner. I thought, you know, if I can understand how this color thing works, that'll be good. I can be a color puncturist and that'll be that. Oh boy, you were wrong, weren't you? I was wrong. And I'll tell you what completely changed my life was meeting my pulse diagnosis mentor, Jim Ramholtz. Oh, you studied with Jim Ramholtz. I did. I did. I. It was the only time in his regrettably short life that he taught a full semester long class at a school that was extra, extra money, extra time. Not that I'm type A or anything, but I signed up. Wow. Yeah, he's an interesting cat. I've heard of him because I used to live in the Seattle area. Uh-huh. I mean, he's almost like a ghost, you know, like you hear the name here and there and it yeah, I heard he was an amazing pulse dias technician. Oh, yeah. He was a master. I mean, he was very, very, very humble, so he would never describe himself as that. But for me, he totally changed my life because, as with most schools, our school didn't teach pulse diagnosis. As a research scientist, I have to use a model that I know works, that I can see changes, 
And that's what I teach. I can feel the pulses, uh, see what's happening, the Im- what the imbalances are, and then see whether inserting needles works or not. I don't have to take it by faith. Like opening the Daimai with Gallbladder 41 Sanjiao 5 doesn't always work. Yeah. I mean, how do you know it works? Well, you don't unless you can feel a blocked Daimai. Right. Wow. I followed him until his untimely death and I am forever grateful. He made me the diagnostician that I am today. So it was the pulse that really flipped it for you. Yes. Yes. Because as I said, as a researcher, you just can't take things on faith. I wouldn't take it on faith either. It's like, how do I know that this needle is doing what I think it's doing? In fact, uh, geez, I mean, when I first went to acupuncture school, it's, it's funny. I, I wasn't sure I was going to graduate and be a practitioner either. I wasn't even sure I was going to get all the way through it because I was just curious. In fact, I wasn't even sure I wanted to be a practitioner because, I mean, I had a really nice, lovely, middle-class, high-tech job. You know, life was good. But I was curious because the dang stuff had helped me. And I remember in, in that first maybe six months, we'd read about the stomach channel goes here and the spleen channel goes there and these points do this. And I'd be like, really? I mean, it's in a book. So someone put it in a book. So what? Big deal. There's a lot of stuff you can put in a book. So what? Right. But then I'd be in clinic and I like put a needle in a, in a place and the patient would go, wow, I feel that down in my toe, right? I put a needle up in their knee and they go, I feel it in my toe. And I'd trace the channel and they'd go, how did you know where that was? I go, oh, oh, maybe there's something here. Right. And obviously there is something there. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a bit about pulse. It's sort of a gold standard kind of thing, right? Like, you know, we're all like, oh, the pulse, it's it's the most important thing. I know for myself, pulse is often, no pun intended, kind of slippery thing to get a hold of. <laughs> well, and that's why I call my book Beyond Slippery and Wiry. Because first of all, I went to a slippery and wiry school. Everybody was slippery and wiry in clinic. Maybe once in a while, somebody would say, oh yeah, that's thin and wiry. Well, there's so much more than that. In fact, I tell my interns don't think about the quality. That's not what it's all about. It's about the flow through the organ systems. That's what good health is. It's the Taiji symbol. It's the Taiji symbol. It's the infinity symbol. That's what the perfect balance of health is. So when you have a goal like that in your treatment, my goal is to make the pulses feel like that. Then I know whether or not my choice of acupuncture points worked or not. And I think that's, for me, what every day in my practice, I am still amazed at the use of acupuncture points and what certain ones do and what certain combinations do. In fact, I have some acupuncturists as patients, and once in a while, they'll say, huh, LI6, why are you using that? I haven't used that since I got out of school. And so it's a little teaching moment for them. So when you talk about Beyond Slippery and Wiry and you're looking for the feeling of the flow of the chi through the organs, what does that mean? What does that mean if someone's got their fingers on someone's wrist? 
Well, first of all, you have to keep all your fingers together. There's no more of that lifting up and feeling, oh, what does the kidney feel like? What does the spleen feel like? You don't do that. That's that's counterintuitive to try to feel flow. So basically what it means is that you can feel the kidneys support the spleen stomach, support the lung, large intestines. So you can feel the water supporting the earth, supporting the metal. And then on the other side, feel the same thing. And then you get the sense that each side is supporting each other, just like the five elemental flow. So you're looking to see if there's any disruption, any little backwash, something that's not going smoothly from the chur to the tsun. Yes. Or is there a block somewhere? Is there a naughtiness somewhere, meaning that the energy is getting stuck in that one location? And then the goal is figure out, okay, I can feel that block. Well, before I'm going to feel any flow, I need to release that block. For example, if I'm treating someone with fertility issues and their dimai is blocked, well, it would be pure silliness to start tonifying the lower jowl, start tonifying the kidneys and do the ren. Because why? Their dimai is blocked. Nothing good is going to happen from that. And you're going to make them worse. Right. Exactly. What's a blocked dimai feel like? For the most part, it feels like on the left side that the kidney pulse isn't flowing into the liver. So it's like your finger is, it's like there's a little wall between your fingers. That's where I first look for it. And sometimes it's so blocked that you can feel that same sensation on the right side. And the thing is, then you don't have to keep feeling the pulses like, oh, what else is happening? Because everything is going to change in the pulses when you open up the dimai. So it's literally a block, literally the energy not moving past your fingers into the next sectors. So with the dye, have you got a few different ways that you like to approach getting that thing to open up? Well, I first do the traditional thing, gallbladder 41, Sanjiao 5, and then I feel again. And if it's not open, I do gallbladder 26 because one of its functions is to modulate the dimai. Then you might have to go to physical, like diaphragm area points, local, more local points to see. And sometimes it's an emotional block. So I talk to my patients a lot about, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm not feeling this change very much. So is there something going on that you're not expressing? And then maybe you have to do something like REN 14, 15, lung one to get that energy that's stuck in the middle expressed better. Is there a difference in what you feel in the pulse between an emotional blockage and a more, shall we say, physical blockage? Yes. They may feel the same in the beginning, but if you do quote unquote energetic points to release that knot or that block and it doesn't go away, then you're probably looking at something more physical. Physical blocks like tumors, cysts, they don't go away in the pulse when you treat it energetically because it's part of the physical body. I mean, this dye blockage sounds pretty easy to feel. I mean, I, I suspect people that are listening to this go, oh, yeah, that, hmm, I, I think I felt that the other day, or maybe they'll go into clinic later today and uh, and recognize it. Are there any other images from the pulse that, that tend to show up on a regular basis, some things that people could look for? 
Well, there is a lot of anxiety right now, it seems, in the U.S. or the world, maybe. Uh, And so I think what we feel a lot of also is that the spirit pulses, so the up there in the heart, small intestine, is not flowing very well. Sometimes there, the liver is blocking the energy into there. Sometimes the heart pulse is kind of short. Uh, it might feel a little scattered. And so a lot of times we need to help people through their emotional stagnation, I'll call it. Sometimes I tell people, they have a greater capacity for joy because I can feel that their spirit isn't very open. I often feel something sort of the opposite. I often will feel an excess, sort of a flooding scatteredness to that sun pulse on the left side. If I was feeling that, I would, number one, any sort of imbalanced feeling like that means that other organ systems are suffering because there's that isn't what normal feels like. Normal would just feel like a nice, smooth, yang and yin flow in that sector. I think with people like that, if you were to talk to them, I think probably how they feel is a little bit overwhelmed. They're still not expressing themselves in a smooth way. So maybe they're holding on to emotions. I ask almost everybody that, are you pretty good at expressing your emotions or do you tend to hold them in? Or maybe it's in a woman who needs to have a good cry. Yeah. Well, you know, men could use a good cry too a lot of times. Well, they could. It's true. Yes. Men could use a good cry. They, when I ask men, are you pretty good at expressing your emotions? I have to say probably 90% of the time they say, well, no, not really. I What's the point? Why would I do that? Oh, exactly. Why would I do that? (laughs) Right. So, you know, I tell them you can do it in your car. I mean, the important thing is to get it out. You don't have to say it to your boss. You don't have to say it to your wife. The important thing is to get it expressed out of your system so that you don't keep yourself stagnated. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. So for people that have not taken your pulse class, but they would like to expand their thinking about the pulse or maybe just expand what they can feel with the pulse. Have you got any suggestions on some territory they can kind of wander into as they're working with their patients, some some different ways of approaching 
the pulse in terms of getting some information? The first thing would be keep your fingers together. That that idea of lifting and feeling one organ system at a time is is just silly. Once you realize that good health is the flow of yang and yin through all the organ systems, it's kind of silly to pick up your fingers and make them separate. And you have to go deep. You have to feel down, 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 deep toward the bone level to feel the person's core chi, what's going on down there in their original energetic strength. When somebody just barely puts their fingers on the pulse like a feather, there's so much information you're missing. So if you think about keeping your fingers together, feeling for a flow, I know this is kind of blasphemous, but forget about the qualities. Just forget about that and try to feel, the. is there any flow going on under your fingers? That's what life is. It's a flow. That's what the Taiji symbol is. It's a flow. And believe it or not, when you get that flow going, all those qualities you worried about are going to go away anyway, because you've balanced the yang and the yin. Sometimes not. I mean, I see cancer patients, scleroderma patients, people with some serious chronic illness. Sure. Is the flow of their chi going to be perfect? No. They're at the end of their life. They're, they have scleroderma. They have some dread disease. But the fact of the matter is some flow is still happening even toward the end of life. Yang and yin might be separating, but there's still some flow there. I remember when first being taught pulse, we were taught to just pay attention where's the energy? Just just go into the pulse and is it more at the surface? Is it more lower? Is it is it way deep? You know, what's it feel like? Does it have a tune? Does it have a rhyme? That kind of thing. You know, later we, you know, we learned all the various qualities and things that you've got to know for the test. It's nice to hear you talk about this in terms of just pay attention to how things are all working together. It's kind of a relief actually. Oh, good. And I'm glad to hear you say that because, as I said, I my school focused on clearly just on the the texture, the the quality. There was nothing about flow. I learned all of that from studying with Jim. This is very helpful for me. Every now and then, I mean, often enough that it gets my attention, I will feel something in the pulse, and my my first thought is, "What's that?" right? I mean, there's something in there. It's like a fish flick in its tail. There's one, I've got a name for it. I call it the ringing pulse. I mean, it feels like a bell is being rung in a particular position. There's one that feels like something flapping in the wind. I've got all my own images and words for some of the oddball stuff that I feel. You know, and I, I take it as, all right, there's something here. It's, you know, it's up to me to figure out what it is. Some of these things I've been able to, you know, pin down to, oh, there's an issue with the lung or there's, a, you know, there's an issue with this or that. Oh, they're not sleeping. But a lot of times I won't know what it means. All I know is there's something weird right here. And hearing you talk about paying attention to the flow, just know where the flow it comes from and know where the flow goes. This gives me a clue into how I can continue to inquire into some of this weird stuff that I feel. Good. And I talk to the patient a lot. One of my specialties is dealing with old emotional 
trauma or sometimes what I like to call the relinquishment wound, especially in people who have been adopted or who are preemies, because there's a there's a depth of deficiency in the spleen stomach sector that I swear I feel in every single one of those people. And, you know, you don't start out by saying, oh, are you adopted or were you not nurtured as a child? But my patients know I'm feeling something. So they're curious. So let's say, oh, doc, how's it going today? Or what is it you're feeling? Why are you why are you spending so much time right there? And then I usually start with a very uh, non-scary question and say, so how's your digestion? And, you know, I'll get back something like, oh, as long as I don't eat dairy or grains, it's great. So, of course, I say, well, it's not great then. That's a sure sign that it doesn't work very well at all. Then I'll say, well, you know, did those start in childhood and this and that? And the other day it just happened where a woman was like, no, you know, I had a kind of a leave it to beaver, kind of a combination leave it to beaver, but a little bit of an army brat kind of childhood. And I said, okay, and we're just talking. And suddenly she starts to tear up and she says, you know, now that you're talking about that, my mom had one child, then she had twins, and then she got pregnant with me right after the twins and was not very happy about it. And I always kind of felt like I was just that extra kid that just happened to be there. Yeah, there well, it is, right? There it, there is. it is. There it is. And that that's something we can change with acupuncture. We can change that kind of lack of nurturing or feeling that lack from the beginning, even in utero, with acupuncture, because we're not putting anything in or taking anything out. We're just taking the stress from a blocked eye and feeding it into those other sectors or taking the overwhelming fullness you feel in the heart and moving it back down to the middle. So there is such profound work we can do for people that it's pretty amazing. People often ask me, what did you put on those needles? Because they're so used to hypodermics and they're thinking we're putting something into the system. And of course the answer is I've put nothing in. All the needles do is invite something within you to come forth. It's so antithetical to our usual Western way of thinking. Right. Well, I tell people, I show them a picture of their imbalances and because I write it down for them. And then I show them the Taiji symbol and I say, this is my job. My job is to make your energy go back to balance like that. Because at some point, unless from the moment of conception, you are out of balance for some reason, which some people are, your body knows balance. It just has forgotten because of all the stresses or physical illness or emotional problems. And it's my job to remind your body how to do that so I can send you on your way and your body knows how to balance itself better. What kind of pictures do you draw for your patients of this to help them understand it? The fingers are three different sectors. So I draw two lines and I show them, you know, here's where what we call the kidneys are. Here's your digestion, your nurturing center. Here's your immune system. And I just, it's just a little graph that I draw and I write, if the pulse is going back and forth, I write little arrows kind of going back and forth. And, or if it's that uh, relinquishment wound pulse, I draw an arrow going downward 
And it gives them a picture of what's going on with themselves. And it gives them kind of an aha moment. Oh, yeah, I can, I can totally see what you're talking about. And then I show them the balance, yang yin, yang yin, and they get that idea that, oh, that's what my body is supposed to feel like, just everything flowing and feeling smooth. I would suspect it's kind of a way to check your diagnosis in a way, too, when you feed it back to them that way. If they shake their head and go, oh, yeah, that's me. Sure. That's probably a good sign if they look at you like, what are you talking about? Yeah, what, what do you do if they look at you like, you've grown a second head? Well, you know what I do? I always believe myself. Jim was a fairly brusque kind of teacher, <laughs> you know. Um, so I've heard. Yeah, not mean, but there were times where I felt like I was going to cry a little bit. Um, you know, I tell people I'm a recovering Catholic and I don't like to be yelled at. And one time I showed him a picture of a knot in a gentleman's prostate area in the pulse. And I said, well, Jim, you know, I think I felt this. And he said, what do you mean you think you felt it? You either felt it or you didn't feel it. Why did you draw it if you just thought you felt it? Oh, man. Okay, yeah. And I'm like, okay, okay. I felt it. I felt it. All right, I felt it. And so I believe myself. You know, because sometimes, as I said in the beginning, if I'm if I'm kind angling toward, you know, I'm not so sure your childhood was very nurturing. Well, you just met me. Maybe you're not going to blurt out, oh, yeah, my dad was an alcoholic and, you know, my home life was a mess. But then at the second or the third treatment, they'll come and say, remember you asked me about something, something? Well, actually, I was thinking about that. And this did happen when I was seven. So sometimes it just takes a little building of trust. And as I said, I always believe myself. I, I feel like sometimes people aren't in touch. They they don't want to say anything. They don't know me yet. But I always trust my own diagnostic skills. How did you come to that? How do you learn to trust yourself with something as subjective as the pulse? By seeing the changes, by putting some needles in, saying to myself, you know, I think this is... Uh, I think I need to open their spirit a little bit and put some needles in and then it changes. So as a research scientist, I say to myself, wow, actually those points just did that. Or I, I still like to experiment. That's why I use so many different acupuncture points because I maybe feel a pulse and think, oh, wow, I don't know where to start. So I think, well, I'll try this. And I really do say that to myself. I really do say, oh, let me just try this. And it works or it doesn't work. Then I know I'm right. If it works, then I'm like, oh yeah, all right, I'm I'm good. I was totally right about that. If it doesn't work, then I say to myself, hmm, so they're wrong about that combination doing that, or or you know that combination kind of did a little something, but didn't make it quite as balanced as I wanted to be. Yeah, constantly testing. Yes, yes. Every patient is a little research project. For example, I had a priapism patient years ago. I did some kidney yang and kidney yin points. And I was giving that, showing that case to someone and some, one of my peers or students. And uh, she said, well, wait a minute. It was priapism. Why would you do kidney yang points? And I said, because the kidneys are out of balance. The person has a history of childhood nephrosis. So he's got a history of the kidneys misbehaving somewhat. And I, got, I have to get it balanced. So I... Don't just use the yang or the yin. It's important to use both sometimes, most of the time, actually. 
as human beings, we have incredible sensing abilities. Once we let ourselves in on, we can feel these things. We can have access to these levels. You know, maybe we can even have a peek into someone's early childhood and enough respect not to say anything directly, but to hold it over the course of a period of time until until they're ready to say something about it. Right, right. I mean, I may still treat it. I have to treat what I feel. But if they're not ready to say anything about it, then I that's fine. And, you know, honestly, that's why pain isn't one of my favorite things to treat. Because if someone comes in with shoulder pain, but it turns out that it's an old emotional trauma that's not allowing the energy to flow in the small intestine channel or the large intestine channel, they don't want to hear that. They came in for shoulder pain. And, uh, you know, some people do, some people are like, wow, you mean really something that happened in my past could be affecting that channel and therefore eventually lead to pain. Yes, actually that is how the body can work. But if they're not ready to hear that and they just want their pain fixed, then I can do that too. I'm still going to, in my mind, treat the old issue but I don't have to talk to them about it if they're not ready because I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm a research psychologist, a research scientist, so I don't do psychotherapy. Yeah, I, I don't do psychotherapy either, although I get accused of being a therapist by my patients all the time because we'll be sitting exactly what you were just saying. They come in with, with a shoulder and it's got trouble. I work on their shoulder and maybe they bring something up that actually does have some emotional content, or they bring something up that is actually getting to what the issue of the shoulder is. I didn't bring it up. They bring it up. All I do is get curious and inquire about that. And then all kinds of other information comes through. And so often people come in with a busted up body part and they find out there's all this other stuff going on. And, and it's not something that I'm pushing them toward. It's not something I'm asking them to do. I just hold a space that it can come up if it wants to. And that's beautiful. I mean, I say that's how Chinese medicine can help people be more the spiritual in-touch person that they were meant to be, is because we allow them to see how all of those things are connected. Yeah. yeah and sometimes just dial down the reactivity enough that they can notice, oh, this is connected to that. Huh. How about that? That's right. You know, I could go on and on with you about the pulse, but I want to get into the other piece of what you're doing, which is the, the maid's end, the facial acupuncture. You, you've got this deep curiosity about how things work. You're so lucky to have run into Ramholtz because you got a, you got a piece of pulse lineage that not many people have. Where did the maid's end come from? Well, because I already had a career, I when I went to Chinese medicine school, I was I probably was 40ish. And I don't know, right at the beginning of school somebody said or there was a, something in class about how Chinese medicine can help you maintain your youthful appearance and help take lines and wrinkles away. Now, the first thing is Chinese medicine is a preventive medicine. So we start seeing you as a child. We help prevent the flu. We help, or if you get a cold in school, we help you get over that more quickly and see you for your life. Then yes, you're going to age more gracefully because it takes a lot out of someone to have the flu for six weeks. 
So that's the first thing I thought was, oh, wow, this is great. You can stay healthy and you're going to age more gracefully. Then I started to think about, hmm, what's this deal with the needles and the face and the skin? So one of my peers and I started to just kind of, oh, we started to just fool around a little bit with needles in the face and try to think about how that would all work. And then I did some research into the classics and realized that in the old, old days, they did what's called multiple needling. So started experimenting with putting more than one needle in a point. And then did the modern medicine research into where wrinkles start, what's going on with the skin that we begin to sag and get wrinkles. And it turns out in my classes, the students all laugh, but I call the 30s the decade of decline for your skin because that's really when things start to go downhill with the skin. So again, if you want to prevent lines and wrinkles, the time to start getting needles in your skin is in your 30s. So you can maintain that look instead of trying to go backward when you're 60 because it's easier to prevent the lines and wrinkles than it is make them go away, frankly. Of course. I mean, that's just true for anything with medicine, right? If you can, if you can avoid having a problem, that's the best way to do it. Exactly. But that's an educational thing. I, I recently had someone, new patient come for some kind of pain and I was just explaining, giving her the rap about preventing like, okay, once we get rid of this pain, then I need to see you to just keep the pain away and prevent the pain. And she said, huh, I've always just come for acupuncture when I have pain. I never thought about it as preventing the pain. I know it's so surprising, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, so, so no one ever explained that to her. You wouldn't think about that, I don't think, unless someone said those words. Hey, let's prevent the pain in the future instead of I just see you every time you have the pain. Well, we think about getting our cars serviced for preventative maintenance. You know, if you have a musical instrument, on occasion you got to tweak the strings on it, right? Yes. Because things change with aging and things change with the temperature and season. Right. But our mindset about medicine isn't that. Our mindset about, we don't come to our, I mean, once a year we come to our doctor and say, hey, I'm feeling great. I'm just here so you can confirm that with blood work and listen to my heart. But we don't just come in and say, hey, I'm feeling great and I'm here to see you. So that's the the mindset even for Chinese medicine is, I have a pain, I have a cold, I have uh, mostly it's pain. I need to be seen. So we have to educate people to start young. Well, over in Asia, it's, it is a little bit different. I mean, I remember in my teacher's clinic, women would often come in after their period just to tiali, tiali, just to, just to regulate things, right? Just to harmonize. Well, I tell my fertility patients once they get pregnant, I say, okay, you're not done. You need to get treated during your pregnancy and you're not done after you have your baby. I know it'll be a little more stressful because, you know, now you've got this baby and you're busy and you need a babysitter or whatever. I tell them they can bring their newborns because they sleep anyway. But I, I clearly say you are not done. You need to absolutely come after you have your baby. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. 
The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I was talking to someone the other day who used the phrase fourth trimester. Let me help you with the fourth trimester. That's great. Isn't it? That's great. It really rang a bell. Again, in Asia, they've got a thing called zoryets, especially in Taiwan, where the women take a month off. They eat nourishing foods. They're attended to. They're cared for. They look to build their blood in chi back up because they just lost a lot of it. Yes. Yes. And yeah, so that idea of a fourth trimester, that's something I think that Western women could understand. Oh, I think so. It, except that, as I said, I think there's so much going on after that, that once again, self-care kind of goes out the window. So back to the face. In addition to getting rid of lines and wrinkles, looking more youthful and all that, what other kinds of changes do you see happening for the people that come in for these kinds of treatments? Well, first of all, you always do a body treatment. So it's with, with the maids and it's two treatments in that session. So take the pulses, balance the body, because I always explain to them that the causes of aging are from the inside and the outside. So, you know, I kind of point to my lower dantian and my digestion and my breathing and say, all of that needs to be regulated because that's why partly maybe why you're prematurely gray or prematurely wrinkling. So you do that part. And then we do the, the facelift or the neck lift protocol on top of that, because for one thing, I think prescriptions work better on a balanced body than, than not. They feel good. Sometimes their digestion gets better. They're so relaxed. They, I take the eye pillow off and they say, I can't believe how relaxed I am with the, all those needles in. How is that even possible? Well, it's because I treated your body first. I got the system balanced first. So with our system, it's, it's really more than just a cosmetic treatment. It's a full body treatment. And that way you are accessing the energetics of the channels that go in the face. I don't really believe in just needling a line or only needling the face. I feel like that's Western medicine. That would be something an esthetician would do. We need to treat the whole body, like where what's going on, the imbalances, why isn't proper oxygen and blood getting up to the skin and and uh you know, what's going on in the lungs or do they have heat in them? And that's why your skin is so red. So it's a combination of treating the entire constitution and the face or the neck. It sounds like you're doing a bit of differential diagnosis. You're looking to see, is this issue coming more from a digestive 
function or malfunction or is it because there's some issues with the lungs or is there an issue with the fluids? Are you doing some of that kind of bianzhong or are you just looking more a constitutional level, you know, just overall? No, I'm, I always, when I'm doing the pulses, it's always a complete D&D in terms of what organ systems are doing with or without each other and fix that before we start. And I mean, some people, I tell it, say in my classes with some people, if you just make their digestion better, their skin's going to look better. But if they're interested in more than that lines or age spots or wrinkles or sagging, then it's totally appropriate to just go right up to the face and just work on or the neck. Right. So this works on age spots. You get enough blood moving through that area that, that those, those can uh, lighten up or disappear? Yes, because we're reinvigorating the dermis. So when you get the dermis moving properly and having proper oxygen and blood flow, then age spots can resolve themselves. I mean, they're coming up from the deep area anyway. So when you regenerate the dermis, uh, those sorts of things can be resolved. Plus, you do have to talk to people about what they're putting on their skin. There's no doubt about it. Again, it's Chinese medicine. It's a partnership. I'm not just going to put these needles in and you're going to go home and go out in the sun and not put on moisturizer and think you're going to look fabulous. So it's, a, it's, again, it's a bit of a partnership. People have to take responsibility for their own self-care. Right. That's a big part of Chinese medicine. Yeah. Do you use gua sha or cupping in your work with uh, the facial rejuvenation? Not so much. Uh, I'm much more of a gua sha-er than I am cupping because I feel like the gua sha tool is a more precise allows you to do more precise work. What I will do is the patient can do that at home if they want to. I, I can show them how to do gua sha or actually derma rolling, either one. And then they can do that at home in between the cosmetic acupuncture treatment maintenance. I don't like them to do it too much in between the actual protocol treatments because the body needs to respond to our accessing the collagen and elastin matrix. But certainly in between their month-long maintenance, if they want to do a little facial gua sha or something like that, that's totally appropriate. You know, so often people think, if a little's good, more is gooder. And <laughs> right. yeah, then you end up with over-treatment. The body doesn't have a chance to respond to one treatment before it's having to deal with another one. Exactly. And I'll say, let's see how this works for you. Like they'll say, oh, well, can I get a peel? It's the protocol is a 10 treatment protocol. And they'll say, can I get a, a peel in between? And I say, well, no, no, I don't want you to get a peel. Let's see how this is working. Let's see how MadeZen works before you go and try to do other stuff. Well, you know, you're you're a research scientist. You want to take it step by step and see what each thing yes, does, right? It's true. Yes, I do. It's tough sometimes well, because I sometimes I confound my own studies. That is an interesting thing. I know in, in my practice, there are people who come in and they really want to know what's the thing that's going on and what's the thing that's going to fix it. And, and, and they're okay with doing one thing at a time. And then there's others that say, bring the smorgasbord, just make the problem go away. Right, right. And uh, I, I tend to have that kind of mind too. I want to know why something worked and, and why it did, or I want to know why something didn't work and why it did. So I, I, I can hopefully learn something. Well, I just told a patient yesterday that, because, you know, sometimes I, I, we all experience people come in and say, 
one of my first questions, just so I know how to approach the needling is, so have you ever had acupuncture before? Oh yeah, I've had acupuncture before and it didn't work. And I do not have a problem saying to people, well, acupuncture does work. And sometimes what didn't work was you didn't go for enough treatments or you didn't get treatments frequently enough or for long-term enough. Or sometimes there are some things maybe your practitioner asked you to do in between treatments that you didn't do because acupuncture does work. Now, there are poorly trained practitioners in every profession, medical doctors, lawyers, everywhere. And uh, that could be a factor too, but I really focus a lot on acupuncture works. So we need to figure out why it didn't work that last time. What would you call a fair trial for acupuncture? For acute things, I would say three to six treatments, and I'd like to see the person at least twice a week. For more chronic things, chronic meaning maybe between eight and 12 months, then we're looking more at six to 12 treatments. And then for chronic, chronic, like my nephrosis from childhood patient, I see him once a week. I've seen him for 15 years once a week. And his kidney disease is in total remission just with acupuncture because he's not an herb guy. Well, you know, that's impossible. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's totally impossible. Totally impossible. He's one of my biggest fans because he used to have to, when he came to see me, he, first of all, he smelled like a person with kidney disease. He had that kidney disease odor and he had to take 10 days a month of prednisone to keep it under control. And he hasn't had to take prednisone in, I think, I I don't even know, over a decade. Wow. So acupuncture works. Acupuncture works in powerful, powerful ways. I I just want to jump back to one thing that you talked about a, a moment or two ago about gua sha and derma rolling. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with derma rolling. What What is it and how is it different from gua sha? And from your point of view, how do these two things work to be helpful? Okay. So derma, a derma roller is one of those little rollers with needles on it. So you can buy them like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.75. In theory, it's making little uh, it's kind of like a seven star hammer needle, but in a on a roller. Mm. But and not as yeah, I know, <laughs> but not as not as deep. Like micro needling is basically an electronic seven star hammer needle, which I just I had to go get one years ago a treatment because I thought no way, no way, somebody's going to be like with with that kind of a needle on your face. But it is. You have to be lidocaned up because it's so painful. But uh, a derma roller is a much smaller, shorter needle version of that. And so theoretically, you can roll it on your skin and your skin's going to get red and you're going to make little tiny puncture wounds depending on how deep the needles are. But in order for it to have a lifting effect, you must needle into the dermis. Just doing topically in the epidermis it's going to give a little exfoliation. It's going to make your skin kind of pink, just like gua sha will. But for lifting, which is what I treat people for, you must needle into the dermis. You must stimulate the collagen and elastin matrix. So I feel like derma rolling and gua sha are nice in-between tools to give your skin some freshness and uh, you know, gua sha is not necessarily going to exfoliate, but derma rolling can. 
so that's kind of the difference. It's it's like, is my goal just to freshen my skin up a little bit, like an exfoliant, or is my goal to go a little deeper and inspire the collagen and elastin matrix to start being more firm again? So you have to get into the epidermis to do that. Right. You have to go past the epidermis. Well, I'm sorry, past the epidermis. You have to get into the dermis for that. Right, happen. right. Okay. And you know what? Honestly, uh, are you familiar with the Graston technique at all? Oh, yeah. It's um, basically gua sha with very, very expensive tools. And a lot of pressure. A lot more pounds per square inch of pressure than you would be willing to do on your your face or somebody else's face. Because they are also accessing the deeper skin and uh, layers and fascia. So, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, that's 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 helpful to know because I thought it was just sort of a rebranding of gua sha with you know super expensive tools. It is in that sense, but they're not. It's a very very much more deep, deeply oriented. In my experience, deeply oriented. Uh, pressure, I guess you could call it. I mean, let's face it, with gua sha, you can watch YouTube uh, videos about gua sha where there's not even any sha, and you can watch YouTube videos of gua sha where the person is bleeding. <laughs> so I like I tell my patients who want to know, I'll say, well, you know, if you're if you watch one that the person starts to bleed, that's not how I do gua sha. Yeah, that would be that would be a bit excessive. My wife, uh, who's Chinese, does gua sha in a very Chinese sort of way. I wouldn't say she makes me bleed, but uh, boy, howdy, she gua sha, let me tell you, and get, gets into the meat. I was teaching a class in Calgary a few years ago, and, and somehow or other, these practitioners had never learned or experienced gua sha. So I said, oh, all right, well, you know, let's take some time because I'm going to teach you how to do it. So I was, uh, I said, look, I'm going to lie down and I want you to experiment with you know, doing some gua sha on my back. Oh my goodness. They were like a feather. And I kept saying, no, no, it, push hard. And they would push a little, well, we don't want to hurt you. I'm like, listen, listen to me, put your whole body weight into it <laughs> <laughs> because they were so afraid. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, it helps to be able to know the different layers. A lot of times I think people are afraid of hurting somebody. Yeah. But you know, you can always just check in with your patient. How's this feel? What I, what I found is there's times I thought I was being heavy-handed, and people go, "Oh, that feels so good." So I'm like, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna follow your lead on this." Then, yes, I tell people like your massage therapist says. You're, I say, "Okay, look, zero is you don't feel anything. Ten is I can't stand it anymore. It's so painful." And you know, I tend to go kind of deep. I want to get that muscle knot out. So if it's a seven or an eight, just say it. Just say seven, say eight, and I will know to back off. And I hardly ever have anybody say that, no matter how hard I think I'm working. Do you have some favorite kind of tools that you use for gua sha? You know, my oldest ones are, I think they're buffalo horn and they have, they're rectangular, but they've got the little notches mm -hmm. that you can kind of like yep. go down the spine. So yeah, though that's just my. It's those are so old; they're almost they almost have sharp edges because I've used them so much. <laughs> you worn them down. <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah, I'm always amazed when I I sell little pain relief kits to my patient, and when I get out the new gua sha tool, I'm like, whoa, that thing is kind of heavy and fat. <laughs> Might need to replace some more. How do you clean your gua sha tools? I use a um, 
kind of a medical, uh, gosh, of course I can't think of the name of it now. I have those antiseptic cloths. Oh yeah. I know. Yeah. I can't remember the name either. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Martha, you seem to have your finger in so many different pies. Is there anything else that you're working with these days? I'm working on a survey right now for women whose libido has disappeared. And so I I have my questionnaire ready and I will be, I'm trying to figure out ways to get it to practitioners to give to their patients because what started to happen was women in their 30s started telling me they don't have a libido. They don't feel like having sex anymore. And I started to think, you know, this is kind of getting bigger than, oh, I'm 65 and I'm postmenopausal and I don't have any hormones anymore. Uh, because when you're 30, you do. So, oh, yeah. No, 30, yeah. Yeah. So I started to think, I'm looking at it from a, you know, a physical standpoint, a socioeconomic standpoint. And then uh, in my final paper, I want to write um, write some ideas from different perspectives. What would Western medicine do? What would Chinese medicine do? What would we do in a psycho-emotional way? And in February, I'm going to have the opportunity to, I'm doing a pulse internship up in Buffalo and the owners in of the February. clinic there were, yes. How come in, you're not in uh, Florida in February? February in Buffalo? What? <laughs> Because I go where I'm wanted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you must be I'm really wanted. wanted to go to Buffalo in the winter. <laughs> well, I'm from the Northeast, okay. so it's All no right. big deal. But um, the the clinic owners there also work one day a week in a clinic in Appalachia. And so I am going to get to go feel pulses of basically an inbred population. And oh, oh boy. Oh, wow. Yeah. The theories in my mind about Jing are going insane. And I'm going to be writing a paper about that. It sounds like you would like to get this survey out into practitioners' hands. Is that correct? Yes. So, you know, there's a lot of practitioners that listen to Geological. Would you like for people to contact you to, to help out with this? Sure. That would be great. Okay. That would be great. All right. Then we'll we'll make sure your contact information is on the show notes page and uh, get ready for a deluge because there's a lot of people that listen to this. All right. No, that would be perfect because as research, as you know, I, I don't want to do a study with 10 subjects in it. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that would not work for your researching uh, side of your brain, would it? Right. That being said, though, let's not forget about the case study. Okay, both Western medicine and Chinese medicine are missing a wealth of information because we have that mindset that I just shared of, oh, I need a hundred, I need a thousand subjects. The case study in my PhD training, the case study was the first research method that I learned about. And we as practitioners have probably hundreds of thousands of case studies that as long as we have in our mind, oh, well, that didn't mean anything, then we're missing data points for sure. Yeah. Well, so often Chinese medicine is taught through case studies. Yes, of course it is. Yeah. Wonderful. Martha, anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners before we wind this down for today? I wish every practitioner absolutely adored what they're doing <laughs> and was invigorated by it. That's what I wish. I love it. That's great. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, 
If you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.